Uh, looking forward once again to be preaching from Ephesians 6. We're actually going to probably step back one verse to the end of Ephesians 5 to tie uh, everything in uh, together and uh, touch uh, a base of which Pastor Larry touched uh, last week. But uh, dividing up the section, the sermon into three sections really this morning. The first section is going to be marriage, family, and society. Uh, the second section um, is going to be spiritual warfare. Um, and the final section uh, is going to be uh, prayer, comfort, and sincerity. And so I'm looking forward uh, to diving in uh, this morning. So to get started, let's start in verse 33 of chapter 5, and we'll read through verse 9. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good anything any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Um, I found it interesting as I was studying this passage that um, most people preach Ephesians 6 in two sermons or three, sometimes four. We're going to do this in one, so it's going to go really quick, but we're going to get through all of it today. But before we uh, dive into this section right here, let's pray. Father, we come before you again this morning. We thank you, God, for your word. I pray, God, that uh, there would be clarity, there would be understanding, and I pray, God, that um, we would hear what you have for us. God, help me to not say the things that I shouldn't, and I pray, God, that you would give me a clarity of mind, and I pray, God, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, leaving off where we left off, we talked somewhat about marriage and the relationship between uh, husband and, and wife. Um, and oftentimes passages like this are taken out of context. Um, and so something I just want to briefly point out before we talk about family, I want to talk about marriage. And yes, the Bible teaches that men and women have different roles within the church and within the home. But some people have twisted scriptures like this one to say that they degrade women. Well, honestly, they're just simply teaching different roles. Um, another example of a passage taken out of context would be 1 Corinthians 11. And in verse 3 it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. I uh, know that's probably not a very popular verse. That sounds kind of sketchy. The head of every... What? Well, the passage is good. The passage is true. And people are going to say that this passage teaches or implies that women are inferior to their husbands or inferior to men in general. But this verse itself shows that being the head of something does not necessarily mean that the something or someone is inferior. The verse says that God the Father is the head of God the Son. Yet they are completely equal and unified. To take this passage any other way is to have a lack of understanding about Christian theology. 
Not only that, later in that same passage in verses 11 through 12, it says this, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. This passage makes it very clear that men and women are equal before God and they're both vital and essential for society. Men and women have different roles, but the reality is there would be no women without men and there'd be no men without women. And there'd be neither men or women without God. <laughs> and so this is understanding in this. To give an alternative example of different roles but equal value, I'll just mention, for instance, pastors in the church. Pastors have a different role than others in the body. But pastors are not of more value than the rest of the church. They simply have different responsibilities and they have a higher accountability. Likewise, the Bible teaches that a man is the leader of his home, and that is a good thing. It is a good thing that men lead their homes. It is a good thing that a man is a leader to his wife, because the Bible says that a husband and father has a responsibility and a higher accountability. And I understand society, you know, although society is confused, and has its heart set on bringing confusion to what is a family, and has its heart set on blurring the lines of gender and the distinctions between men and women, even society recognizes in at least the slightest that men who abandon their wives and kids are losers. Society understands that. And that they should have been more responsible and they should have understood their accountability. But if gender is just a social construct and marriage is not sacred or even necessary, society has no moral grounds on which to declare how a father and mother, a husband and wife should act. Society can't say these things aren't important and then complain when a man doesn't step up and be the leader and husband that he should be. The Bible teaches us that a husband is to unconditionally love his wife and be willing to die for her as Christ died for us. To unconditionally provide for his wife just as Christ is sufficient for us. To unconditionally protect his wife just as Christ intercedes for us. To unconditionally serve his wife just as Christ humbled himself and became a servant. This is what the Bible teaches men about being the leader of their home. This is the type of man that God is commanding wives to respect and follow, and a man that most women would probably love to marry. He is to lead with love. He is to provide, protect, and serve. The men who want to point to a passage like Ephesians 5 as a bondage to their wife clearly do not know their Bible very well. Be a man worth following. Do not demand to be followed. And so this is the context of talking about uh, a, a man who is going to sacrifice for his wife and a wife is to reverence her husband. Now as we go into chapter 6, we talk about children obeying your parents in the Lord. If any of you grew up in church or grew up in a Christian home, I'm sure there was at least one point where your mom or dad wrote that verse on like a three by five or printed it out and like posted it up on the wall somewhere. 
You know, if, if that happened to you, please comment below that, yes, my mom or dad printed that verse up and posted it on the wall somewhere. I know it. I know it. I know you're on there watching. I know. No, that's happened. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. And the reality is, I want to say this too, um, children, that also means teenagers, okay? Young adults that are still living at home, this also is about you. Your parents are intended to be a blessing from God. But I have to say this, unfortunately, because we live in a fallen world. I realize that there are bad parents out there um, that some of you have been abandoned by, that some of you have been abused by, that some of you have been asked to do terrible things by. That's not what God designed for the home to be. Let me first say that there is an exception to obeying and honoring your parents. If your parents tell you to do something that would be sin against God, you must obey God rather than your parents. You don't have to honor them doing an evil, sinful thing. Now be careful with that. Don't misquote me. I already know like some kid somewhere is like, well, God, God came to me in a vision and told me I didn't have to clean my room. No, I'm talking about clear-cut scripture of what God commands. We have to obey God first. Otherwise, God has given you parents to provide for you, to protect you, to instruct you. And if you're blessed with Christian parents, to ultimately point you to Jesus. And I mean genuine, real Christian parents. I understand that some of you grew up with socially Christian parents who weren't Christians at home. But genuine Christian parents, they're there to point you to Jesus. Parents are there to help you to live longer and to live wiser and to live for God's glory. There's a reason they say look both ways before you cross the street. Don't chase the ball out there. Don't put those rocks in your mouth. And I know you're not going to like all the rules set in place by your parents. You won't understand all the decisions that they make for you. I get that. Oftentimes, I didn't understand why I couldn't go to that event, go to that person's house, go do this thing. But good parents and godly parents love you enough to protect you and to guide you to truth. Maybe your mother or father aren't in the picture anymore, but God has placed people in your lives to help fill those roles. Obey and honor them. Maybe you're, you're in a single parent home. You just have your mom, you just have your dad. Obey and honor them. Maybe you do have your mom and dad or a mom and a stepdad or a dad and a stepmom. Obey them and honor them. You may not always understand or appreciate them, but honor them while you can. Love them while you can. They are a blessing from God that will shape your life. So many things looking back that I didn't understand. I look back now in my 30s going, oh, I thank God my parents didn't let me do that. I thank God my parents didn't allow this in my life. I didn't understand it at the time, but it saved me so much heartache. It saved me so much pain. Parents are a blessing. But the passage goes on in verse 4 and talks about fathers. Now, fathers, you understand this. This is specifically talking about fathers, but the Greek word here could also be referencing both mom and dad. Even though there's an emphasis on fathers here, this could be a reference to parents. So, moms, you're not out of the loop on this one. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You know, 
my kids, your kids, they may be upset with you for making decisions that are for their good. But the, I would hope that they would not be angry with you or me because we're a bad parent. Maybe you think parenting is a game and you enjoy doing things to provoke your kids. Like, don't do that. Don't, don't play favorites with your kids. They're all extremely precious and valuable. Don't cause your kids to resent you because you always point out their faults and weaknesses, but never give them helpful support and never tell them when they do a great job at something. You never tell them that you love them or that you're proud of them. You never give them a chance to earn your trust. You instead expect them to fail. Tell your kids the truth, but give them a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of love. Love them as your heavenly father loves you and gives grace to you. Do you need to correct and discipline your kids? Yeah, we need to do that, even when they don't like it. <laughs> Correction from God can be brutal, but I never doubt his love for me. And as parents, correcting and disciplining our kids is desperately important, but they should never have to doubt that we love them even in the midst of correction. So we point them to Jesus, we point them the way they should go, and we do it with love. Sometimes it requires strong correction, but they should know that we love them and we shouldn't push them away. But in verse five, it mentions servants, which it is talking about slaves. And we've talked about this before in Philemon because it's important to understand the context of slavery that this is talking about in the Roman Empire, which is um, indentured servants is a, a large group of people and prisoners of war is a large group of people. So people had an economic situation. They sold themselves into servitude. Others, they've been captured and now they're working, but they were, they, they were considered less than citizen. Some people even consider them animals, which is terrible. But at this point in time, they were given a lot more respect. They were able to get other jobs. They were able to get an education. Um, they were starting to look at as more valuable um, in society. Um, but that is the context of, of servants here. So it's talking about, well, what should a Christian indentured servant do? How should, how should a Christian prisoner of war act towards his master? And it also talks about how should a, ma a Christian master treat these indentured servants? How should a Christian master treat these prisoners of war? And, and that's what it's talking about in context. That's not part of our social structure. That's not how things work. I think there's some other application here, like talking about um, uh, maybe someone who um, is in prison um, paying their debt to society, and maybe that is a believer and how they should react to those that are overseeing them in the prison, or maybe they became a believer while they were in prison and how they should act now. I think there's some really good application there too. Um, but for the ge general application for us, we do make contracts with employers and how we should act with them. Thankfully, we can quit our job and get a different one if we don't like it which is the difference of an indentured servant, you're kind of stuck for a while. Um, John MacArthur put it this way, the first obligation of a Christian is to please his Lord and to be a faithful testimony to him. One way to do this, the apostle says, is to give willing obedience to those under whom you work, regardless of who they are or what their character is like. Be a Christian, uh, being a Christian should always make a person a better, more productive, and more agreeable worker. People will not be inclined to listen to the testimony of a Christian 
who does shoddy, careless work, or who is constantly complaining. If a Christian finds an employment situation to be intolerable, he should quit and look for something else. But as long as he is employed, he should do the work to the best of his ability. I think all of us know what it's like to have a job that makes you miserable. Where you have, honestly, a bad employer or a bad boss. As long as you're employed by them, Scripture teaches that we should respect our employer. We should honor our boss. Oftentimes I've worked with people who they clock into work and they're like, oh man, like this is such a waste of time. I wish you could be doing something else. But understand whether you're clocked in at work or whether you're at a church service or whether you're on a, out on a missions trip, you're always on God's clock. You're always an ambassador for Christ. So maybe you have an employer that is paying your paycheck, but you're still a servant of God. So it matters how you talk to your boss. It matters how you interact with your coworkers, with the managers that are over you in authority. 1 Peter 2.18 says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. So man, you need to respect and honor a good boss or a bad boss. One that's always accusing you of things that you didn't do, and the one that's always congratulating you for doing the right things. Once again, if there's a way to get out of that situation, I would highly recommend you get in a better situation. But as long as you have that contract, as much as it's possible, you should live at peace with your boss and with the managers that are over you. 1 Timothy 6, 1 through 2. This is really important. It says this, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they have believing masters. Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. So you had some servants that realized that they're a believer and their master's a believer, and they're like, oh man, this is a sweet setup. I don't have to work as hard anymore because they know that we're both like equal with God and like we're part of the kingdom, so like we're cool, right? And try to abuse that relationship. But what the Bible teaches us, and once again, the application that we're looking at here is as an employee or as a worker, and you have someone in authority over you, even if you're both believers, you are supposed to not abuse that relationship. You should work just as hard. In fact, you should work even harder out of respect to the relationship that you have as brothers in Christ, as sisters in Christ. So I know that's not a fun teaching or a fun thing to talk about, but hey, bottom line is respect those in authority over you. Show them respect as, as, if, it's your, as if you're working for God. I, I love how it talks about... Um, not, not eye service, right? It's not like, okay, as, if my boss is around, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to work really hard. As soon as they walk around the corner, oh, good, I can chill now. Well, no, because God still sees you. God knows you're abusing that relationship. God knows you're abusing that contract. And so it's important, no matter where you are, whether it's at home or at work, at, at, a, at a church building or in employment somewhere, understand you're always on God's clock. You're always serving him. Your character matters no matter where you are and what you are doing. But this is also a two-way street. 
masters or employers, employers, managers, anyone who has authority over someone. It says here, uh, masters, do the same things in verse 9 unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. Treat your employees or those you are overseeing with the same amount of respect as God is commanding them to treat you with. Don't be quick to threaten or be overbearing. Remember that your master, your boss, God, is patient towards you. Be patient towards your employees and give grace. This doesn't mean that you don't correct people. This doesn't mean that you don't fire people. That's part of it. But it just means that you will treat them fairly and with respect. And so that's important. Once again, that goes both ways. And so we talk about this thing with marriage and family and how we are in society. It's not just what happens at home. It's not just what happens uh, as the church gathers. It's also what happens when you are at the job, when you're out in society, and that respect that you have for one another to the glory of God. So in summary, Christian marriage, Christian family, and within society, as a believer, Christ should be what identifies our marriage, what identifies our family, what identifies our work and interaction with society. He should be at the heart of everything we are and everything we do. When, when you're focused on Christ, you will see and treat your spouse the way that you should. When you're focused on Christ, you will see and treat your kids the way that you should. When you're focused on Christ, you will see and treat your boss the way that you should. When you're focused on Christ, you will see and treat your employees the way that you should. We're always serving Christ. That's the first section. The second section we're going to dive into spiritual warfare. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Spiritual Warfare. That very first verse in this section says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Understand this when it's talking about doing all to stand and putting on this armor. It is God's strength, it is God's might, it is God's power, it is God's armor. So, to be able to withstand the spiritual warfare that you and I face and will face, it's going to be powered. By God. This armor is from God. You see, spiritual warfare is as real as warfare in the flesh, but it's much more deadly because it's a war against our soul. Paul warns us and tells us how to combat this kind of warfare. In Ephesians 3 16, it says, Be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Colossians 1.11 says this, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. 
But then he gives this analogy in this passage of a Roman soldier's armor, of the things that he would do to be prepared for an attack. He says, your loins girt about with truth. Now, the, the, the basic clothing of anybody at the time would have been a tunic. And it would be the same thing for a Roman soldier. But he would have this military belt, and he would take his tunic and tuck the tunic into the belt. This would be the same way of any, uh, besides military people, this, they would, their tunic would get in the way and they would have to tuck it in somehow or, or pull it up somehow to be able to work in the field or do different work. But for the military, for the soldier, he would have a military belt and he would tuck in his tunic to get his tunic out of the way. So he's not having problems. So he's ready for the battle. He has his tunic pulled back into his belt. And right now in society, and all, there's so many distractions. There's so many distractions around us of telling us, this is how you should think. This is how you should feel. This is what you should feel about this situation. And, and everyone tries to play on your emotions and all these things that you should do. And, it, you know, it's heading into Christmas season. And it's going to be, man, your Christmas isn't going to be any good unless you buy this gift for your kid. Otherwise, you're a terrible parent. Is this all these distractions and things going on around us? We have to understand if we're going to be prepared for spiritual attack and spiritual warfare, we have to take all those distractions and misplaced priorities and filter it through truth. Take all these things and tuck them into truth. Otherwise, it's just flapping all over the place, <laughs> getting in your way. And you have to take that and tuck it. Be ready for the attack that's coming. Filter it through the truth. It talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now let me tell you something. Talk about putting on this breastplate. You cannot earn the righteousness of Christ. It is a gift through Him. What this is talking about is to the power of the Holy Spirit walking in righteousness, walking morally upright through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're walking in sin without a repentant heart, like you're knowingly living in sin and you have no desire to repent and get it right, you've placed yourself in a compromised situation. Because the breastplate's intended to protect your lungs and your heart from the arrows and the swords and the things that will come and attack you. You're not ready for spiritual warfare if you've already given in to the attacks. If you're already walking in sin and you're not willing to repent and to put on this breastplate, you're not willing to repent and through the power of the Holy Spirit walk morally upright. It talks about having feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, there's a lot of different shoes. I don't know if you guys know this. There's shoes that make your feet feel good. There's shoes that make your feet hurt. There's shoes that are just for looks. There's sandals and flip-flops. There's shoes for playing basketball. There's shoes for running. There's shoes for squatting. There's shoes for deadlifting. There's all kinds of shoes. There's, there's boots. There's, there's work boots. There's snow boots. There's cowboy boots. Bottom line is, Shoes are designed to protect your feet. And it's hard as a soldier to be prepared for a battle if you have to keep looking at the ground and 
watch where you're walking or you're stepping on sharp objects. Have any of you guys stepped on a Lego barefoot? It's not exactly peaceful. It hurts a lot. So imagine trying to be prepared for a battle, prepared for an attack, but you're stepping on rocks and all kinds of things because you're barefoot. Now, by the way, I know some people who prefer to run barefoot or squat barefoot. Well, bless your heart. I'm not going to do that. You want to run a marathon barefoot? Would you, have you done that, Dave? Would you run a marathon barefoot? No, didn't think so. I've seen, I've seen him do it, run the pavement barefoot. Um, does not seem comfortable. But in this case, you can't be prepared for the attack if you are barefoot, if you have no foundation on your feet. And right now, there's a lot of things that are taking away your peace. It's like stepping on a Lego. And every day, it's like there's something else, and there's something else, and there's something else. If you're going to be prepared for the attacks of the devil, the attacks of the world, the attacks of the flesh, you have got to have the peace of God. To no matter what, you put on these shoes of the gospel of peace, so no matter what you step on, you have the peace of God at your foundation. You have that peace. Those things around you are, would really hurt, except for the fact that in Jesus Christ, you have the peace of God that can pass all understanding. Walk in that peace. Be grounded in the peace of God. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, this is really cool because it talks about fiery darts. And this was a thing, man. They would have enemies who would have uh, fiery arrows. And they shoot it at you. And when they would hit you or hit the ground next to you, they'd splatter out like this. And burn your eye, your hair, your face, your skin. And so what they did is they'd take shields and cover them up in leather. And they would dunk them in water. And when the fiery darts would come, the only thing that could protect them was that watery shield. And when that dart would hit that instead of splattering and causing fire, it would extinguish the fire. It would extinguish the darts. And what can extinguish the darts of Satan, what can extinguish the darts of spiritual warfare and spiritual attack and temptation in your life is your complete trust in God. Your faith. Your faith. Every time someone says, man, you shouldn't believe in God anymore. Your faith, it just quenches the dart right out. I trust in God. I trust in God. It talks about the helmet of salvation, and there's a lot we could talk about that, but remember to rejoice in the joy of your salvation, the joy of eternal salvation. No matter what attack comes, you have salvation. You have a joy in Jesus that no one can take away from you. And it talks about a sword. We should respond to all spiritual warfare with the word of God. Just as Jesus did in the wilderness, as Satan attacked Jesus, Jesus responded with the word of God. That was his defense. I know as we get like into the thing of like, well, the helmet and the sword and this, he's not actually talking about physical armor. This armor is spiritual armor. He's talking about what we need in God 
to be, to, to be protected. We have to cling to truth and walk in righteousness, knowing that you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can completely trust God. Don't become weary in well-doing. Satan will soon meet his fate, and we will all be rejoicing in God and praising God for all eternity. Therefore, defend and proclaim the truth in the face of danger with the Word of God. Well, how do I get peace? How do I get more peace? How do I get more joy? How do I strengthen my faith? It's not a trick. There's not like some secret success to Christianity. You've got to spend time with the one who provides the armor. If you lack peace, it's because you're not going to the one who provides the peace. If you lack joy, it's because you're not spending your time with the one who gives you the ultimate joy. If you're struggling in your faith and it feels like those fiery darts are just hitting you, it's because you're not going to the one that gives you more faith. And if you aren't able to understand reality and filter things through truth and be able to defend yourself with the word of God, it's because you're not reading it. We have everything that we need. Are we willing to go to the one that provides this armor? that gives us the ability to withstand against these attacks. We can have peace. We can have joy. We can have strong faith, and it's found in Jesus. In this last section, we're going to talk about prayer, comfort, and sincerity. Prayer, comfort, and sincerity. Verse 18 through 20 says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, the utterance may be given unto me that I may open up my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We need to pray for ourselves. Oftentimes we pray for a whole lot of other things, but as Ephesians has taught us, we need to take time to strengthen the inner man, that we need to pray and seek Christ personally so we can put on the armor of God. We also need to pray for others, pray for the other saints, pray for those in our church family, pray for believers around the world. And we need to pray for our missionaries, our ambassadors around the world for Christ, that they would have boldness and strength to propagate the gospel. Pray for yourself, pray for others, pray for our missionaries. Verse 21, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do Tychicus. And I probably just totally ruined his name. Tychicus. However you want to say it, it's fine. A beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things. <laughs> Sorry, I just think, was he known as a faithful brother and friend or did they know him for the guy that had the weird name? I don't think. <laughs> probably wasn't weird to them at the time. Whom I have sent you, verse 22, for the same purpose that you might know our affairs, that he might comfort your hearts. He's mentioned also in Colossians for the exact same things. I'm sending him to you so we can see what situation you're in. What's your affairs? What's going on? Why? So we can point out all your problems? So he can tell you to deal with it? No, so he can comfort your hearts. We need to learn to be a comforter to those who are worried or sorrowful. 
And in 2020, a lot of people have been worried about a broad amount of things. And worry is real. Anxiety is real. It can be a really stressful time for a lot of people. Something um, even just like trying to get back to work or losing work and then school and trying to figure out which parent's going to be able to work and work from home. And, and then just the disease in itself and thinking all these things. And there can be a lot of worry. And for some people, we're not worried. But whether you're the person that's worried or the person that's not worried, make sure that you're comforting hearts. Now's not the time to brag about how you're not worried about something. (laughs) If God has graced you and given you strength, share that with someone who's scared. Romans 12, 15 says this, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. And this is really important and applicable to us today, to be a comforter of hearts. And he prays that they are given peace and love with faith, knowing that these are gifts from God. Verse 24, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. I love this verse. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. We must love and worship God authentically. Not a show. Not for alternative reasons. Not because of the fear of man, but from a sincere heart of love. To love him without sincerity, without authenticity, is a worship that won't last And it is a burden to carry. But to love him with sincerity and with authenticity is to know and experience his grace. To experience his love toward us. If you love God for any other reason besides the fact that he loves you, you're missing it. You're missing it. 1 John 4.10 says this, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Later on it says in verse 18 and 19, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect or complete in love or whole in love. We love him because he first loved us. You don't have to be afraid of what people think about you or what certain religions think about you. The love of God casts away that fear. Because God became flesh to bear your sin on the cross of Calvary. And then defeated death in the grave. That he might Take your sins, forgive you from them, and give you eternal life. The fear of death, the fear of man, the fear of rejection from God can all be cast away. Because God incredibly loves you. And is calling you to repent and believe the gospel.
the remission of sins. Repent and trust in Christ alone. You don't have to live in fear. You can instead live in the love and joy and peace of God because of what he has done for us. You can live in a sincere, authentic relationship with God thanks to what Jesus has done for you. And maybe you already are a believer, but you have forgotten why you fell in love with God in the first place. Renew that relationship with God. Be authentic with God. Don't be like, yeah, God, you know, I pray for this, I pray for this. If you're having a hard time with your faith, tell God you're having a hard time with your faith. If you know you don't love God the way that you should, tell God, God, I don't love you the way that I should. He already knows. Tell him exactly how you feel and where you're at. And ask him to strengthen you, to change you. And I promise if you do that in sincerity, he will and you will experience his grace anew.